Exodus chapter 16. We're going to continue with the book of Exodus. The power, the presence, and the people of God. This is our study through the book of Exodus. We're going all the way with this. Our plan is to go all the way to chapter 40 of the book of Exodus. All the way. Doesn't matter how long it takes. But we're in Exodus chapter 16. And what we're going to talk about today is the question, are we commanded to still obey the Sabbath? Are we commanded to obey the Sabbath that God instituted in the Old Testament? Is that something for us to obey? And if so, is it supposed to be on the seventh day or Saturday? Or did it move to the first day of the week, Sunday? Does it matter? If it does matter, how are we to practice it? What is it supposed to look like in our jam-packed, you know, crazy activity-filled lives with all these, you know, social media pulling at us and uh, people pulling at us and things on the calendar? How do we do that? And most importantly, what was God's goal with the Sabbath? When he first instituted it, what was his goal for us? What was his purpose in it? And is that still something he wants for you and I today? Now, the problem with talking about this is that many of you don't care because <laughs> you've got other things going on in your life and it doesn't feel urgent. Come on, I can be, let's face it, usually starting off a sermon, uh, it, it, you can start off with a felt need, but this one, a lot of people don't feel a felt need for. They're like, I, I don't, uh, this is, sounds like a theological academic question. I got real problems. My marriage is falling apart. I got a kid who's on drugs. I, I, I got, I got, I got a, you know, college decisions to make. I got all kinds of burdens and worries and cares. This isn't related to that. And I would argue that it very much is related to that. And in fact, that's what the title of today is The Sabbath and Our War-Weary Souls. God's goal in, in, in instituting the Sabbath is not only something that I believe he wants for us today, but I believe it has everything to do with what we are carrying around on a regular basis. The pain, the disappointments, the unanswered prayers, the unresolved conflicts. So, let me pray that this message will hit you in a relevant way. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time on a Sunday morning to gather together as your people, both in person and online, to celebrate you, to hear from you, to serve you, to represent you to each other. Pray that you would speak to us. I pray that the extra noises around us, birds and hammering, and aren't a distraction from you, but are a reminder of your good creation. You're the Lord of all creation. You gave us this creation. Let it be a reminder that as much as you take care of the squawking birds, you take care of us. Thank you, Lord. In your name. I pray. Amen. All right, so Exodus chapter 16, where we left off last week was that the people of Israel were hungry. And they were started to grumble and complain about it. They started to worry about it. And so God said through Moses that here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to provide for you on a daily basis. Bread from heaven. Manna from heaven. Every day you're going to go out and you're going to gather up this bread. And you're going to eat it. 
But it's not going to last till the next day. So don't try to store it up for the next day. Don't try to uh, store up security for yourselves. Just trust that I'm going to provide for you each day. What you need each day, I'll provide it. And then it's going to run out. And you'll have to wake up each morning tested. Are you going to worry and freak out or are you going to trust me? God was training them as his people. Remember, he had saved them from slavery, and now he's training them to be his children. You can trust me. You can trust me. You can trust me. So every day they would go out and gather this manna, except for one day. There would be a switch. On one day in particular of, a, of, a, of each week, there would be a switch. God was changing something up. Let's pick it up in chap, uh, verse 22 of chapter 16. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So for one day, you're going to gather up twice as much as you normally would. And it's going to last for the next day, the seventh day, so that the seventh day you don't have to go out and gather. It's going to be a Sabbath rest. I don't want you going out together. I want you to trust me. I want you to relax. I want you to pause from your usual labors and trust me and rest in me. Moses continues, verse 24, or um, the passage continues. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. So again, the Sabbath day is meant to be a pause, a rest, a, 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 a change from your usual labors, and I will provide twice as much on the sixth day. Now, why is this? God is training his people again to represent his character in nature, to be a people who reflect his character in his nature. And you might ask, well, what the heck does a Sabbath day, a day of rest, have to do with God's character in nature? Well, it all goes back to the very beginning when God first created creation. He created in six days, the Bible says in Genesis, and then on the seventh day, something was different. Let's check it out. Let's kind of do a flashback to Genesis. This is Genesis 2-2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So he, at the end of chapter one, he declared it good. Creation is good. Job well done. It's complete. I like what I've created. And then on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had been doing, and he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So what this means is not that God was tired and had to say, man, I need a nap. That was a long week. Gosh. That's not the idea of rest here. The idea of rest was he sat back and he enjoyed what he created. He was like, ah, look at that. I love it. I love it. And he enjoyed it. And he delighted in it. And he was satisfied because it was good. It was complete. It was as it was supposed to be. Now, if you know the story of Genesis, the next chapter, the first human being sinned. Adam and Eve rebelled. They thought they could be their own gods. They could take care of themselves. And everything got fractured. Sin entered the world. Everything got broken as a result of that. 
It unraveled. And so in a sense, God got back to work. In a sense, God got back to work, not creating, but redeeming his creation or recreating. And you know the story, if you've been with us with the book of Exodus, we talked about how God chose a man named Abraham and said, through you, I'm going to create a family. And through that family, I'm going to create a nation. And through that nation is going to be a, 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 a Messiah that's going to come, the seed of Abraham would come and be a blessing to the entire world. And the story of Exodus is the story of this nation of people becoming slaves, God rescuing them, setting them up as his people, and, and, and continuing the story of redemption. So that's where we are at chap in chapter 16 of Exodus, where God, where God is saying, so now... To reflect who I am, he's bringing them back to the beginning. This is how it's supposed to be. You were supposed to be my people all along where you could walk in trust and rest in me. That's how the first human beings were, were created to be. And so now that God has saved his people from slavery, he's saying, I want that for you now. And one way to practice that is that one day a week, the seventh day, you're going to rest. You're going to cease. You're no longer slaves. You, don't, you, you no longer have taskmasters getting ready to whip you every time you stop working. No, I'm a good God. I'm a good master. And you can cease. You can stop. You can relax. You can trust me. So in a sense, the seven-day week is a reminder that our God is Lord of all creation and we can trust him. But you know the seven-day week, there's no scientific basis for it. Like there's a scientific basis for a day, a month, a year why we keep track of those things in the way we do, but there's no scientific basis for a seven-day week. In fact, some cultures have tried to institute an eight-day, and, and it didn't work. The only basis we have for a seven-day week is Scripture. Is God at the beginning saying, this is how I want it to be. And so when we look at our calendars and there's a seven-day week, it should be a reminder to us that, oh yeah, oh yeah, there was one day. There's this cycle that God created to remind us that he's the one who created all things and we can trust him. We're no longer slaves. We don't no longer have a taskmaster ready to whip, whip us when we stop working. We can trust that God's going to provide. So let's keep going. Back to Exodus 16, verse 27. Nevertheless, God bless you. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and instructions? So some people didn't trust God. They're like, you know what? We got to go out and look for manna just in case. They couldn't sit still. They couldn't relax. They had to always be doing, doing, doing. Anybody like that? You always got to be getting something done. You always have to be checking a box. You feel like your existence is not justified unless you're doing, 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 doing. Come on, anybody like that? Yeah, we have trouble with this idea of rest. It's, it's wired into our broken souls that we can't rest. We can't trust God. Our, our existence isn't justified unless we can end the day going, I got a lot done today. Anybody married to somebody like that? Now, chances are some of you are on the other side. Where it's not that you have a trouble with rest, but you abuse the idea of rest. It's gotten distorted. You're like, I have no problem resting. In fact, I'm going to binge the new Netflix series the whole weekend. Lie on the couch while my spouse does all the doing, doing, doing. 
either, we go to either extreme. We, we run from this idea of rest or we abuse it because there's something broken in our souls. And if, and if that's you, if you fall on that side of com kind of complacency, you may find that even though you work for the weekend, right? You use up all your vacation time. You have no problem taking days off. You may find that you return to work on Monday morning. You, re you go back to, to work after vacation and you still don't feel rested. Because oftentimes, even though we may physically rest, even though we, we may get rest mentally, that rest that God wants for us does not penetrate our souls on a deep level. Anybody ever experienced that? You take time off, you can escape, but the rest that God wants for you is not penetrating your soul in the way he wants it to. Let's keep going. Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. It's a gift. It's a gift from God. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. They finally got it. All right, there's nothing going to be found. We're going to go out on the seventh day. We're not going to find what we're looking for. We're not going to be productive. So they finally got it. They rested on the seventh day. And now the question is, what does this Sabbath have to do for, 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 with us, with you and I? Is, is this still a command for you and I? On the seventh day, on a Saturday, are we supposed to stop from our labor, stop from our work? Does it apply to us? Well, to really understand this, now we've got to kind of keep going into the New Testament and see what Jesus does with the Sabbath, what he says about it, what he does to it, how he messes with it a little bit, how he redefines it. So we're going to do that, and then we're going to kind of get to some application. What does it mean for you and I to, to apply this? So let's keep going. Actually, no, let me back. Let me, let me set the stage here. So when Jesus showed up on the scene, by the time that Jesus showed up on the scene, the religious leaders had sort of distorted this idea of the Sabbath day. Because there was questions about like, okay, well, if we're supposed to take off from our work and not work the fields on the Sabbath day, how much is too much? Like, you know, they started asking such specific questions like, how far can I walk? How much weight can I carry? Like such specific like that. We don't want to break the Sabbath. So uh, different religious leaders had different ideas of, of, of what you could or could not do. They would actually have a specific amount of steps that you could take on the Sabbath. Imagine having to count how many steps you could take on your day off. That'd be a little wearisome, wouldn't it? A little burdensome. So while their intentions may have been to honor God, what it led to was extra burdens, extra restrictions, extra rules and regulations that were weighing the people down. They're like, ah, how many steps did I take? You know, they, they, they couldn't pick up their mat and carry it at a distance. They could only do so much. And so when Jesus showed up on the scene, he started to challenge some of the ideas, the man-made ideas that people had about the Sabbath day. And I'm going to show you this picture from Matthew 11 and 12. If you want to jump there, um, it's, it's one such example of Jesus challenging the idea of the Sabbath. We're going to start at the end of chapter 11 and then flow into chapter 12 of Matthew. Remember, when the writers of Scripture wrote Scripture, there were no chapter breaks. That's the translators later on adding chapter breaks for us. There were no chapter breaks. So the end of 11 flows right into chapter 12. Matthew put it like that for a reason. So let's go to Matthew 11, verse 28. Jesus said, he's looking at a crowd of people, maybe like this crowd here, and he said, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now, 
people were then like they are now, weary and burdened by life. And then extra weary and burdened when religious leaders said you can only do X, Y, and Z or you're in trouble. And they're trying to keep track of the steps they're taking. And then Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Take my yoke. Now a yoke referred to, originally referred to an animal when a farmer was training a new immature animal in the field, they would yoke it, connect it to an older, more experienced animal, and that older animal would bear the burden. And, and, and the younger one would kind of learn from and be um, supported by that older, more experienced animal as it was being trained. It also, by Jesus' day, referred to a yoke was what a religious leader, such as a rabbi, their idea of what it meant to follow the law of Moses. So, for example, God said, honor the Sabbath day. A rabbi's yoke would be, this is how many steps you're allowed to take. This is how much weight you're allowed to carry. It would be burdensome. Jesus says, hey, my yoke is easy. It's, it, it's, it's gentle. You yoke yourself to me. You can rest and rely on me, and I will guide you. You can be supported by me. So come to me and you will find rest for your souls. My burden is light. That's what Jesus was inviting them into. Rest. And not just physical rest, not just emotional and mental rest, but soul rest. A deep soul rest where they can go, ah. That's what we all need, isn't it? Ah, because the weeks are burdensome and toilsome and the, the world is broken and it weighs on us and we have unanswered prayers and unresolved conflicts and situations that we don't know how they're going to turn out and things that we try to exercise control over and then it, get, it gets messed up. Plans get derailed and we're like, ah, oh, what am I going to do? And Jesus is saying, come to me and you will find rest from all of that. Now, was he saying, come to me instead of following the Sabbath? That's a question here. Or in addition to? In addition to? This, this, is, this is a question I want to try to answer here. Was he saying, come to me instead of, get, get, don't worry about that Sabbath day business anymore? Or was he saying, in addition to? Here's where I want to keep going. Matthew 12. We roll right into Matthew 12. On a particular day, Jesus and his disciples are walking through the fields. Let's check it out. We're, going to be, we're just going to look at the first eight verses of Matthew 12. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain and eat. Now when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on a Sabbath. So in their mind, in their man-made kind of religious minds, they were breaking the Sabbath day. That was a form of, of harvesting and working. If you're picking heads of grain, you're working the fields, and that's breaking the Sabbath. That's not allowed. Look how Jesus responds. He said to them, have you not read what David did when he became hungry? He and his companions, how he entered the house of God and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those with him, but for the priests alone. So what Jesus is saying here is your ancestor, David, your hero, David, 
who you all exalt as, you know, one of the greats in the Old Testament, he had to go and take bread while he was on the run from King Saul from the tavern, uh, from, uh, uh, yeah, the, 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 from, the, from the house of God. He had to take the consecrated bread that was not supposed to be, it was only supposed to be for the priests, and he took it and gave it to his men to eat because they were hungry, they were on the run. And Jesus is like, you guys aren't condemning Moses. So why are you condemning my boys for taking some heads of grain while we're walking through the fields and they're hungry? And then he continued. Have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple violate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? So he's referring to the fact that priests, in order for the Sabbath to do what the Sabbath was meant to do, the priests were working the temple. They're keeping the fires going. They're slaughtering animals. They're lifting those animals onto the altar. That was work. And Jesus is like, you're not condemning the priests for doing that. Because that was part of what the Sabbath was supposed to be about. So why are you condemning my boys? And then he said in verse 6, but I say to you something greater than the temple is here. Now that's, that's a huge statement for him to make. Something greater than the temple is here. He's referring to himself. He's referring to the fact that the temple was where God's presence met earth. Heaven met earth in the temple, but it was a foreshadow of a greater temple where heaven met earth, which was God in flesh. Emmanuel, Jesus himself, he was talking about himself. I'm greater than the temple. I'm here. I'm where God's presence meets earth. And eventually the temple would be done away with because Jesus is the fulfillment. He is the ultimate temple. And how Jesus talks about the temple here, I think gives us a clue as to what he means and intends for us with the Sabbath day. So let's keep going. But if you had known what this means, I desire compassion rather than sacrifice, quoting the Old Testament, you would not have condemned the innocent. So if you understood that the purpose of the Sabbath was, was rest for my people, you would have compassion on the fact that my boys were hungry. And you wouldn't be condemning them and saying, well, they're, they're breaking, they're, they're kind of technically working by picking the grain. It's like, no, you wouldn't do that if you understood my father's heart. And then he says something that is ultimately, this is the biggest offense here to the religious leaders. Verse 8, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He's talking about himself. He's saying, I'm in charge of the Sabbath. I'm the one who defined the purpose of it. I'm the one who defines what you're allowed to do and not allowed to do. I'm in charge of it. I give meaning to it. I give fulfillment to it. Now, that was a very, very offensive thing for him to say. But I think ultimately what Jesus was getting at here, at the end of Matthew 11, he says, come to me, all you who are weary, and you'll find rest. Then he challenges the idea of the Sabbath and says, listen, listen, it's, it's meant to provide rest for my people, not to be an extra burden on them. I'm in charge of it. Something greater than the temple is here. And I think what he was saying is, just like the temple was going to be redefined and fulfilled in him, so would the Sabbath. Just like Jesus is our ultimate temple, he is also our ultimate Sabbath rest. It's in him. What God wanted for the people of Israel in Exodus 16, when he said, hey, relax. You can trust me one day a week. You don't have to go out, earn your living, find your food. Trust me. I'm going to provide for you. Remember that you belong to me. Jesus is the ultimate rest where we get to say, ah. I don't need to earn my salvation. I don't need to earn God's favor. I don't need to work, work, work to prove myself to him. I don't need to end every day with a list of accomplishments saying, there, God, I justified my existence. No, I've been justified because of Jesus. 
and what he's done for me, that's where I find my rest. He is the fulfillment of the temple, and he is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. True rest is not found in a day, in other words. It's found in a person. Now, it still gets to the question of, well, are we, should we still have a day where we make it a special day, where we take off, where we rest, we make it holy? And to understand that question, I got to try to address one more question in this whole thing. I know this is a different type of sermon than normal, um, but bear with me here. To get to that question, we got to understand the question of, or try to answer the question of, why did Jesus say he was the one who could give us rest? What was it about Jesus? What did he do? What did he accomplish so that we don't have to keep accomplishing, earning, working, proving? What did he do? And this is very, very important. See, just like God created the seven-day cycle that hasn't ended, we're still operating on the seven-day system, Jesus was born into real time and space in a, in a seven-day cycle, in a seven-day week, right? He grew up in a seven-day week. He claimed to be God the Messiah on a, on a seven-day week. He rested, he worked, he served, he taught, he healed, he cast out demons in real time and space, in a real place in Israel, on a seven-day cycle. And then at some point, on a particular seven-day week, at the end of that seven-day week, the sixth day of that week in particular, it was known as a Friday to you and me. We call it Good Friday. But on the sixth day of that week, Jesus said something very similar that echoed back to what God said at the end of creation, at the end of creating the world in six days. God said, it is good. And at the end of this week, on this sixth day, Jesus, after he was tortured, after he was condemned, sentenced to death, after he was put on a Roman cross, nailed to it, at the end of his life, as he was breathing his last, he declared something very, very powerful. He declared that it is finished in John 19.30. He said, it is finished on that cross. It is complete. It is done. The plan of recreation has been paid for, in other words. It echoed back to what God said on the sixth day of creation. It's good. And now Jesus is saying, it's done. It's finished. It's complete. The work has been accomplished. And then he died. And I believe what the Bible teaches us is that something reset on how we view our calendars and how we view time. Something was changed forever. Something ended. What ended? What ended? What ended? Well, the need for a temple and the temple system ended because Jesus became our true temple who made a way for us to have entrance into the presence of God. The need for lambs to be slaughtered entered or ended because Jesus became the ultimate Passover lamb who was slaughtered for all time. And the need for a seventh, seventh day Sabbath ended because Jesus became the entrance for us into that Sabbath rest. 
On that Sabbath day, on that Saturday, that last day of the week, it was quiet. Jesus was in a tomb. The disciples didn't know what was going on. They didn't understand it. They were confused. And then the next day, on the first day of the week, John 20, verse 1, Mark 16, verse 2, Luke 24, verse 1, and Matthew 28, verse 1, all four accounts of the resurrection of Jesus start off with this, start off, um, with this phrase as a description of when it happened. On the first day of the week. Because they wanted to make it very, very clear that it was the first day of the week when Jesus rose from the dead. It was the first day of the week when new creation burst forth. It was the first day of the week when the future kingdom of God crashed into the present. And something new started. And I believe that because of that, how we look at our seven-day weeks will never be the same again, or should never be the same again. In fact, the early church started to gather, we see, on the first day of the week, even though some of them were still Jewish, and they observed the Sabbath on Saturday, and they were debating, do we need to do this anymore or not? They were still gathering on the first day of the week because they were saying, this is the first day. This is the day Jesus rose from the grave. This is the day that new creation started. This is the day that God promised our ancestors is coming a day when my kingdom is going to crash in. This is the day that it broke in. The first day of the week. So they started to gather on the first day. We see this in Acts 20. We see this in the book of 1 Corinthians. The apostle John in, uh, in Revelation, he said he was gathered on the, on the Lord's day. Revelation 1.10, on the Lord's day. So they called it the Lord's day, this first day of the week. Something shifted. Something changed. Something reset. And I believe that it's supposed to reset for you and I. How we view the seven-day week hasn't changed in the sense that it's, it, we're supposed to view it as there's a cycle to it. God has wired us for something. But what did change was that the, the first day of the week is now declared to be the Lord's day. It's the day Jesus burst out of the tomb. It's the day he came forth and said, ha, I'm alive. I'm alive. All the things that weigh us down are part of old creation. And he says, I brought in new creation, and it's available to you. It's available to you. Rest for your souls is available. Now, it's available to him, or through him, immediately, now, but ultimately, there's an ultimate Sabbath rest coming for the people of God when he returns, and he makes all things new, and his kingdom is ushered in in his fullness. But the first day of the week is meant to be a day where we gather, and it's almost like we're, we're looking at a sunrise. We're looking at the first rays of the sunrise. We're saying, wow, a new day is dawning. A new day is dawning. A day when, when every tear will be wiped away, when every justice or injustice will be made right, when the presence of evil will be eradicated from us, when the stuff that we have disputes about and arguments about are going to be gone because Jesus bought our unity with his blood. And so we gather on the first day of the week to look at the early rays of that new sunrise and we go, wow, that day's coming. That day's coming. So practically speaking, I want to end with just my phone's dead. What time is it? What time is it, Lisa? Okay. All right. We're good. We're good. 
We still got two hours, so. Practically speaking, just a few minutes, practically speaking, what does this mean for us to practice or implement or apply this rest that Jesus offers us into this seven-day week, into our cycle, into our lives, into our activities, into our calendars? What does it mean? What does it look like? I'm just going to give you four things. You can write these down if you want. I'll let that train or whatever it is pass for a minute. Number one, take one day and seven off from your usual labors. I, I, as I said, I don't believe that we are commanded anymore to make the seventh day, Saturday, a Sabbath day anymore. There was debate in the early church. Do we need to practice this? Do we not? And the Apostle Paul talked about it. He said, listen, someday, some, some folks will, some folks won't. It's okay. No matter what you do, make sure you just do it to honor God. It's, it's fine. But I do believe that our souls are still wired on this seven-day cycle where we need to take one day out of that seven. It doesn't matter if it's Monday, Tuesday. You know, everybody works different types of jobs. One day where you cease from your usual labors. One day where you stop from what you normally do. One day where you make a concentrated and intentional switch to rest in God. Any day of the week. Don't matter. I don't think it matters. But any day where you can rest and say this is a different day. And and I've heard it said that if you're a manual worker, you work with your hands all week long, that one day should be a day where you're... You're, you're resting physically. You're not doing a ton of yard work. You're resting physically. Maybe you're reading a book. You're doing something that stimulates your mind. Maybe you're taking some online classes for something you're interested in. Something like that. If you're working all week with your mind, you're using your brain, your brain's getting fried, then maybe for you that one day is you're gardening. You're taking a hike. You're doing yard work. That's what I like to do on my one day, which happens to be Saturday. Not because I think that it has to be Saturday for everybody, but it happens to be that for me. I like to do stuff outside where I'm forcing me not to think. I like to cook. But it's a break. It's a ceasing. It's a stopping from your usual living. If you're a house mom or house dad, I think that day should be a day where you're like, you know what? I'm not going to try to get all this list done. I'm not going to feel the pressure to do all the laundry, do all the dishes. Somehow you're finding a way to just cease from that. Because here's what I believe. Although Jesus is our ultimate rest and not a day, how we handle our weeks shows whether we truly find our rest in him. If you can't stop going, if you can't stop accomplishing, if you can't stop checking things off your to-do list, there is something in your soul that isn't lining up what what you say you believe about Jesus. Oh yes, Jesus paid for my sin. I'm justified in his sight, but I've got to keep doing, 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 doing to justify my existence and feel good about myself. There is something off there. If you can't stop, then it just shows, man, you've, there's, on a deep level, you don't fully trust that he's, he's paid for you. He's adopted you. He delights in you, even on days when you barely get anything done. Can you believe that for you type A'ers? God delights in you on those days when you barely get anything done. Hard for me. Hard for me to trust in sometimes. So that's number one. One day a week where you should be ceased from your usual labors. Number two, don't confuse busyness with productivity. I heard Denzel Washington say this at a commencement speech 
graduation ceremony, and it, it always stuck with me. Don't confuse busyness with productivity. I think, it, I think it speaks to what the Israelites were trying to do. They were going out on the seventh day. Remember, some of them were trying to gather manna. God said, there's not going to be any manna. So they weren't productive. They were busy, but they weren't productive. How many of us fall into that trap where we're just busy, 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 thing, and we think, if I'm just doing, I feel good about myself, but ultimately, we may not be productive, not for our, for, for our families, not for God's kingdom. If it's not flowing, if our busyness, there's nothing wrong with being busy, but so long as our busyness flows from trust and rest in God, otherwise it's ultimately not productive. When the Israelites went out to gather, it needed to be on a day when God said, there's going to be food on the floor. And when he said there's not going to be food on the floor, no sense being busy, right? So God leads us, and when he's leading us, we go, I'm going to jump into that work. I'm going to serve. I'm going to jump in and volunteer there. I'm going to work the ground there, and God's going to meet me there. But when we're trying to run ahead of him, when we're trying to solve problems that God's saying, that's not for today to solve— we may feel busy, but not productive. Anybody ever experienced that? Busy, but not productive. I shared last week about how sometimes I, I, I try to run ahead of myself to get more done than God's giving me the grace to, and it actually ends up backfiring because I'm trying to respond to emails or have conversations that I, I don't feel the grace to have yet, but I just want to tie something up with a neat little bow for the day, and it just makes it worse. And I'm like, oh, why did I try to have that conversation now? Why did I feel the pressure to have that now, to try to fix that now, to try to jump into that now? And I also learned from going back to the seven-day week thing, if on a day when I'm taking a, a time to rest, I actually find that I'm more productive the rest of the week. So for me on a Saturday, I don't check emails. I try not to check voicemails and texts, especially that relate to my role as a pastor. I'll just, if I, like, if I do happen to check a text and, you know, I'm texting with a family member about something and I see something that has to do with a church situation, I'm like, you know, I'm not going to read that until tomorrow. Um, and, and I've learned that it's, it makes me more productive the other days because God's able to, like, decompress my brain somehow. Like, I can just kind of detox, and it can kind of speak to me in fresh ways. But if I'm running, 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 just thinking, okay, I just got to get done, get, get, get stuff done, get stuff done, not productive. So that's for the type A'ers. Now, number three is for the other side. Don't confuse physical relaxation with soul rest. Some people, again, they don't have, they don't, they don't have trouble stopping and pausing, but their trouble is that they're so focused on just relaxing and chilling and taking it easy but they're not getting the soul rest that God has for them, right? They might fill their days up with, with entertainment, and there's nothing wrong with entertainment. I like entertainment and movies and TV shows like the next guy or girl. We like to play cards. There's nothing wrong with that. I think God's, all good things are from God. However, if our focus is on, I just need to relax. I just need to, I just need to tune everything out. If that's our focus, instead of, I need to tune into Jesus— I need to tune into who God is and re be reminded of. If our, if our day off isn't spending at least extra time saying, all right, God, remind me of who you are so when I jump back into this crazy week that's coming up, I'm working from a place of rest and not in order to find rest. You know the difference? 
I'm working from a place of trust that you, you're in control. So what I like to do on my day off is look back at the week and just kind of journal where I've seen God at work. And look back and go, you know what, God, that's right. A week ago I was praying for this, this, and this. And look at how you answered those prayers. Okay, that's right. That's right. You've been answering prayers all week long. So as I start this new week, as I start this new week, I got some stuff weighing on me. I'm, I'm more confident that you're at work in those things. So I just think whatever it should look like for you, don't confuse physical relaxation with soul rest. Find a way to be reminded that Jesus paid it all. He's in control. You don't have to be. He's proved himself on your behalf. You don't have to prove yourself anymore. He's the greatest gift. He's the the fulfillment that our souls long for, not Netflix, right? Or whatever else we tend to escape into. And then finally, 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 number four, make the first day of the week the Lord's day. I really believe this. Make the first day of the week the Lord's day. Going back to the early church, they were working on Sundays, like, that was part of their system. They were working the fields on Sundays. They were, they were working their trades on Sundays, on the first day of the week. Then Jesus rose from the dead, and they were like, man, this is a special day. So they would gather, but it wasn't their new Sabbath day. It wasn't their new Sabbath day. They weren't like, all right, everybody, this is like we're taking off. Like, the, the culture didn't shift like that. So they would gather before work or later in the day after work. Some of them who were Jewish, Not all of them who were Jewish, but some of them who were Jewish continued to observe the Sabbath on Saturday, but they would still gather on the Lord's Day, on the first day of the week. Because they were marking this out. This day is special. And it was inconvenient, mind you, to to gather. If they're working the fields early in the morning at dawn, and they're gathering before that, or they're working all day long, and then they come to gather, right? They don't have time to change into new clothes like we want to do, right? They were gathering despite persecution, despite the inconvenience, Eventually, they were gathering despite the differences they had with each other, like Jews and Gentiles. You you guys think that it's hard to gather with people who don't agree with you on vaccinations and masks? And and political stuff? Like, multiply that by by 100 for Jews and Gentiles to, to be gathering together. Decades and centuries of this bitterness between the groups. And Jesus said, no, no, I, I've, I've torn down this wall of hostility between you guys. You're... You're now one new people in, in the cross when you trust in me. And I want you gathering together. So they would actually gather together for that. The book of Hebrews said, don't forsake the gathering of the assembly. Don't, don't stop. Don't stop doing it. There's going to be a lot of reasons not to gather. Don't stop. And I think the same applies to us today. We've got reasons not to gather. Many, many reasons. Right? But I think that we need to fight through those reasons. We need to push through. Some people might even say, you know what? It's draining to be around all these people. Having all these conversations. Listening to people's pain and burdens. Serving and volunteering and setting up and breaking down. I mean, this takes work. It can be physically draining. But I think that's why... It's not despite those things, but it's because of those things that we are together. Because the world is broken. It is wearisome. It is burdensome. It is hard. And God says, no, but I want you to gather on the first day of the week to remember that you've been set free from that old creation and you are now part of new creation. Because I've risen again on the first day of the week, a new day is coming. You know the Revelation tells us that there's going to be a time when the sun won't even be needed. You know why? Because our Sabbath rest will be the only day that there will be. 
Jesus will be the son. And it will be the only day. So on the first day of the week, we remember a new day has started. And one day, this new day will be the only day that we will ever experience. No more toil. No more labor. No more burdens. It'll be gone. And so we gather together on the first day of the week to remember that and go, that's right, God. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. You paid for a new day. The payment is complete. I don't have to work for that rest. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. And it's available now. And it's available then in a greater degree. But it's also available now. No longer do God's people work for six days and then rest on the seventh. That was the idea for many. We work, 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 and then we deserve a day off. Now we start the week off resting in the loving care of our Savior. That's why we sing songs. We're reminded, ah, he's good. He's good. He cares for me. He loves me. I can rest in that, and then I can take that into the rest of the week. I'm not working in order to earn rest. I'm working from a place of rest, from a place of soul rest. So can we stand and band? Can you come up here? We're, we're going to worship God, and we're going to celebrate, and we're going to remember this stuff, that he's our Sabbath rest. As physically drained as we might be, and, and emotionally exhausted and burdened, and the stuff that's weighing us down right now, we get to bring it to him. He says, come to me, you who are labor and weary and burdened. I'll give you rest. So as we sing, I just want to invite you to come to him in your heart. Come to him. Bring that to him. One more time. Let me read this quote. On the first day of the week, God's people gather to gaze upon the first rays of a new sunrise. That's what we get to do when we gather. I just picture us standing on a beach. This popped in my head right now. Standing on a beach, and behind us is, is brokenness. It's burdened. It's burdens and, and it's, it's toil. And it's the stuff that's unresolved that we still have questions about. And it's the upcoming week and the distractions, and it's the ambitions, and it's the decisions we still have to make. And it's weighing us down. And, and that's all behind us. And on the first day of the week, we're determined to meet at the beach, so to speak. And we gaze out on the ocean and say, look, hey, look, look, look. We remind each other, look, look, look. Look, look at those rays. Look at those rays coming up. Look at those rays coming up. A new day is dawning. Jesus purchased that new day for us. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. And we're tempted to look behind us. Yeah, but I got all this stuff. No, 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 no. Just, just, just look. Look at the sun rays. Look at those rays of that sun. Look, it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. He purchased a new day. He brought in a new day. It's coming. The kingdom is breaking into the present. A new day is dawning. And one day that new day will be the only day God's people will experience. Let's sing and remember that.